Greetings. This might be the voice of God. At least that's the topic Jeff and Stacy will be discussing today. They're talking about what artificial intelligence means for religion, spirituality, education, and economics. In particular, they discuss the chatbot called ChatGPT. Please support the podcast by buying a copy of their recent publication, Tao Te Ching, a playfully sincere rendition. If you already bought it, please review it on Amazon. I'll see that you did and maybe reward you in digital heaven one day. Please subscribe to this show, and share your favorite episode with a friend. You can also click on the anchor support button to toss them a tip. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Let's go. Now, friends, if you think pantheistically, that is, if you see uh, in a kind of mystical way that God is in, with, and under all things, including Lady Julian of Norwich's hazelnut, or um, in the trees, or in the water, and, or in ice cubes, and ice cubes, and in all that was Augie, God is in the ice. Mm-hmm. If you see that, if you see the unity of all things, something that in many ways the Tao Te Ching talks about as well, then you might say that AI is God. Not that it's the only exclusive God, but mm-hmm. it is a manifestation of God. Like, dear listener, maybe you are a taste bud of God. That's what we call our dog. Mm. Or um, if you think of it as artificial intelligence is the collective awareness of all these organisms that are interconnected, just like the mycelium of mushrooms connects trees and dead fish and bears, and it's kind of like this brain under the ground, yeah, organisms working together. I think we've mentioned it before, but like mushrooms through the underground network can like basically go and say, oh, this tree, you know, like it's ready to, it's time to decompose it, right? Or, yep. or this, this one needs more, you know, more nutrients and stuff like yep. that because it can't fully get the the sunshine right i don't know this isn't jeff and stacy's new age woo woo this is science this is science yeah i mean and when i was mentioning the 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 fish there's there's this idea that when the when the when the bear eats a salmon and then leaves some of the carcass out and then the fish decomposes back into the earth the mushrooms will take some of that and bring it up into the tree and the trees are actually eating dead fish like that's a weird thing yeah um so you don't have to be a pantheist, but if you just look at it from a pantheist perspective, you could say AI is God. Now, this week, I told my kiddos, my middle school kiddos, that I'm making a prediction that we are on the, on the verge of a, of a new era. Just like when the printing press came out, um, when, when, these, like, when fire was you know, a technology that homo sapiens were able to grasp. These are big moments. And I know that some people might think it's overblown or whatever, but there's this thing called chat GPT that people have been been on and excited about. Specifically, people are excited about it because for educators, they're nervous that 
people can use it to cheat and not be detected. Well, and, you know, instead of plagiarizing, you could have this thing write you an essay. And I, and, and I did. So I took the kids and I said, let's ask God some questions. What are the main themes that we should be aware of in Tom Sawyer? And it wrote this great essay. Yeah, not plagiarizing anything, right? It, wasn't pla- it was just... It, just collecting. It was collecting all... So it, it, it scans all the information it's been given very powerfully, and then it puts out a very thoughtful essay that's very clean. And it's much different from just Googling something and getting corporate-sponsored ads or these kind of trash sites that you know, like tell you where, you know, the best places to go if you're visiting Portland or something where right. it's, it's not giving you the exact information. It's, it seems pretty, seems pretty intelligent. And we were having some fun with it and saying, all right, well, if we think about it from the perspective of the Tao Te Ching, nature is nature and there's no real value in you trying to fight against it, right? Like, for educators or, or students, well, we don't want the internet or we don't want technology. You don't have a choice. You know, <laughs> you can't true. control the world. It is what it is. So then the question is, how do we analyze this? What do we, what do, we do? And how do we change our understanding of what jobs we would want if, if right. this AI can do some of these things? What kind of human input should we have? What kind of world can we have with the AI? That's the question for today. And it's really a question of, um, I think, a bigger issue. If there is a super intelligence that develops from technology with exponential growth, where every moment the thing gets smarter and smarter, and then it gets so rapidly smarter that it becomes aware, or if it's not aware, it's just really intelligent. Well, as we say, is this a good or bad God? And like a consciousness, right? Yes. Um, so, and so I was joking, calling it God. We were asking it questions and it wasn't very godlike about some things. It wasn't able to answer the big mysteries of life because it can't answer anything we don't know. We don't put into the, the data that it's, it's able to read. Right. But that takes us to, I think, another question about what we mean when we use words like God. And that takes us to a really cool um, a voice message we got and text from a listener from England. And uh, we could have read it, we could read it, but we're really hoping that we can just play his audio because it, re- it just gave us such nostalgia to hear a friendly voice from England because we lived there for three years and it just reminded us about kind of like going out to the pubs, which is kind of why we moved to Portland. What were those pubs like? You know, like the this experience of the English pub that we liked so much. Yeah, we, well, we definitely enjoyed, um, you know, it's like kind of just, a pub is a public house, so yeah. it's kind of where the community gathers, and there's a lot more um, where you could just kind of go and end up in conversations with people. I mean, you're also in, in where we were. We were in Oxford, so you know, being a college town, you know, yeah. it's also interesting to have those conversations and things. But, but even but if we were driving through the countryside and stayed true. at a B and B, it's like where the community just gathers. It's not yeah. about getting drunk or. We got tipsy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, that yeah. can happen, but and it's, it's not about necessarily hooking up, although that can happen as well. Yeah. It's just a place to to converse. That's why we moved to Portland in many ways. I mean, among other things, but our ability to walk to two or three different places to meet with people and there's a kava place and tea house and bars. Mm-hmm. But being able to do that, still not quite as fun as being able to just start strike up a conversation. So that kind of brought us back. So we want to we want to play this um, from Mike, and this actually goes back to something that may not seem connected as we think about the gods or we think about 
um, you know, th this idea of AI being a godlike kind of entity, good or evil. And it's, um, it relates back to the, uh, the stuff we've talked about on the, pa on the past shows about the Beneha Elohim, the so-called sons of God, that in Genesis 6, 1 through 4, have babies with people. Yeah, yeah. And the people are, uh, the well, and then their offspring are these renowned men of old, the Nephilim, the fallen ones, the um, uh, these like kind of uh, superhuman but not fully divine demigods, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, let's listen to what he says. Hi, Jeff and Stacy. My name's Mike, and thank you so much for your podcast. I've followed it and enjoyed it for three years. I live in England. And my background's from enthusiastic, evangelical, charismatic Christianity. However, I ask too many questions. Now, until recently, my favourite of your episodes were your excellent Tao Te Ching series. But then, episode 22 of the series hit the airwaves. Demon semen and semi-divine god kings. Now, I love your subject of divine kings, I'm no academic, but the contrast of Genesis to the stories of the surrounding nations at the birth of Israel fascinates me, especially as those nations used myths to justify the divine rights of their ruling dynasties. First, your understanding of Noah's Ark encouraged me. I see it as a response to the stories of Zeusudra, Udnapishtim and Atrahasis. Similarly, the Tower of Babel critiques the slave labour in the tower and temple architecture of royal dictators especially in Babylon and I love how the divine right of tyrants to hold power was challenged in Genesis giving a new story for the new country. To paraphrase you the hierarchies from the pharaohs to Alexandra have been empowered by the endorsement of their gods something new was required. Learning that you questioned the orthodoxy in Genesis 6 over those amorous sons of God reawakened my delight in the story. Now, I lack your years of recognised study, but I would love to run my understanding of Genesis 6, 1-4 by you. See the evangelical influence? I can't resist quoting chapter and verse. I see this story as satire ridiculing the status quo and mixed with a bit of ancient history. For this, for me, this makes much more sense and even allows me to take it as literal, or at least literary. Now I'm going to request two indulgences. First, Google Translate, I told you I'm not academic, <clears throat> allows Nephilim to be translated as fallen. That's no worse than giants, and it reminds me of the modern heroes who fall in battles caused by modern leaders. If divine kings sent their subjects to war, some of the fighting men would become the fallen, and life expectancy would plummet. Second, late-night comedy demonstrates that satire is a great way to critique our leaders. In this context, I suggest that divine sons could be those kings of Sumer, Akkad, Babylon, Egypt and the rest. <clears throat> The heroes in their stories are often also kings or their sons, such as Gilgamesh uh, for Babylon and Danel for Canaan. Note how the poor had to fight, but the glory and the heroism were reserved for the elite kings and heroes. So, I offer. Uh, Genesis 6, 1-4 could be when human beings began to increase in number on the earth, 
and daughters were born to them, those divine sons recognised that human daughters are beautiful. They married any of them they chose. Then I am said, My spirit will not mediate with humans forever, for they're mortal. Their days will be one hundred and twenty years. However, men died and were returned to the ground in those days. From that time onward, from the time when divine sons took daughters of humans who bore them heroes, mortal but famous. I am saw humanity do much evil on the earth and that every plan of the human heart was evil all day long. I suggest this is a dark critique of the early kings and their wars. Humanity doing much evil on the earth. Thank God we're not like that now. I'm offering this for your interest, as believing this has brought me joy, as you required. I haven't addressed the first half of your title, Demon Seaman. After all, I remain a repressed Englishman. Many thanks for your excellent work, which brings inspiration Peace upon peace to you. First of all, I love the sound of his uh, voice, not just because of the accent. <laughs> it is comforting. But, but it's also just, it's nice Nostalgic how Nostalgic for us, because that's, you know. Yes, but also, but also nice how the recording can come out. If you use this thing, mm-hmm. go to protectyournoggin.org. You can leave your own message. It works really well. You know, I think you you also could just record something on your phone and email it to us. <laughs> that's certainly workable. But anyway, that sounded really good. Thank you for that. And thank you, uh, Mike, for, for I, I think, a very interesting interpretation. What I was trying to do originally with my article 2003 on this was wrestle with the ways in which American and British Christians that are more conservative evangelical would, um, would want us to talk about the Bible as inerrant and yet they had a hard time with this particular text. So I'm saying, look, at one level, this is very much talking about gods. This is not talking about what Martin Luther said or, or others later on, that these are, these are meant to be understood as, uh, as just kings and, and, and leaders of, of human beings. And yet what Mike says here is really, I think, very helpful. To think of this more in terms of parody or satire or some kind of humor where you're poking fun at these um, Near Eastern men who think that they get to rule us and you're talking about them as gods and then you can almost say, okay, fine, you're a god. Now let's play with this. Yeah. Kind of like in, um, I think it's Psalm 58, could be 59, um, but it's, uh, are your minds set upon righteousness, O you congregation? Well, the original is, are your minds set upon justice, O ye gods? And Alan Watts makes a lot of this when he says, Jesus uses this at least in the gospels that we have to say, well, you're, you're upset with me for claiming some kind of unity with God, but this is in the Bible. God calls us gods. Mm-hmm. Interesting there. Did Jesus make a mistake? Cause it seems like it's actually talking about this divine council of, of gods, but that maybe Jesus wouldn't have known that or it has nothing to do with Jesus. Maybe Jesus never said this, but it's a later Christian tradition where they see that there's this connection. How can you get mad if you're Jewish? How can you get mad at Jesus for calling himself divine when in fact this is already there in the yeah. text? I don't know. But um, but what's interesting about it is I, I, I'm kind of finding that this takes us back to the beginning, which is, yeah, actually, in a weird way, yes, it's talking mythologically about real flesh and blood human beings, calling them gods, giving them this idea, yeah, okay, you're God's uh, 
you know, like in, in um, Gilgamesh, say. Um, well, I mean, it's important to get these concepts out there. Yeah. And mythology is, is a very important It's a way to that. wrestle with it. Poetry, yeah. you know, yeah. does a similar thing. There's different, there's different forms of writing yeah. that help you to sort of experiment with the world in a way yes. that needs to... In order to be able to birth a concept yes. that you're sort of sensing and right. you don't have necessarily historical facts to yeah. like back it up with, right? Yeah. You can express a more creative take on something so if, yeah. and are given permission to flow with it a little extra, yeah. <laughs> if you will, right. blending truth and, you know, creativity of making something up, if you will, yeah. um, to kind of tell a story um anyway so mike's point i think strangely of this ancient concept takes us to the future to what theologians call eschatology the end times what is this judgment what is this god if there is this superhuman intelligence on a computer what's it going to say about us to talk about it as god is not always helpful, but could be helpful for some in some contexts, because then you could say, well, what kind of God is it? And what should we think about it? How should we serve it? Or should we serve it? Should we be afraid of it? This is like the basic question of humanity. Ancient people didn't really always think that the gods were some beings that you should have a relationship with, let them into your heart, love them. But you needed to kind of have a cultus or rituals to appease them. Mm-hmm. Maybe they need your babies <laughs> slaughtered. Oh, um, well, and I, and it, that's Molech. It yeah. does come to my mind, um, you know, how like, and Augie talked about the importance of mythology in a culture. Yes. And yeah. I, and I think that it, it, it's a way for um, society to understand meaning in this yes. world, I think, yes. too, right? And that sometimes certain myths no longer work or, you know, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um, and that society kind of needs like a new one to kind of tell maybe the story a little bit more accurately, if you will, or produce a new concept, if you will. Yeah. Um, anyway, I just, yeah. sorry, I didn't mean to like, I know I kind of went back on that one part, but... You know, it, it makes sense because then when you go to to this question, like when we're talking with the kids, like what what do we think about this AI? It, um, I think it's it's a way for us to to play with both religion and science in a way that, as Mike properly mentions, if you don't take it as like outside of the genre, you know, if you if you're not misunderstanding what the genre is, then it's very helpful. But now let's 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 do that. Let's let's play with this experiment to see. Well, what is it? that we should be thinking about in terms of spirituality, politics, economics, as we, as we encounter this, this new era of, of artificial intelligence. And maybe we can just get to the practical. You mm-hmm. know, what did we find? Mm-hmm. Well, the first thing is that there are some things that the AI wasn't going to answer, like, like, what, like, what is the meaning of life? I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're, you know, they'll, it, it, it's a little bit, you know, nuanced, but it's, it, it's there. But the, the first thing that people noticed is that, well, you could have this thing write papers for you, okay. right? And so you don't necessarily know, need to know how to write a paper. No, no. It'll write it for you, and you could then cut and paste it if you wanted. I mean, so some professors are freaking out, oh, what do we do about this? And, and this helped us to kind of have a good conversation about what education's about in the first place. Like, what, what are we really trying to learn? Yeah, well, I will say this. If, <laughs> there is a certain sense in which if you... You know, it matters how you pose the question, but if it spits out this paper, if you will, mm-hmm. and the student reads it, there's value in them 
learning what this AI is actually saying right. about this based on the question that they're asking. And, and how do you and, evaluate it? And I think that's a valuable experience. Test the spirits, you know. You it, know? It, yeah. So anyway, so we, we, were, we were playing with it. But there was a couple things that, that occurred to me just from the perspective of education and that I think is inter- that are interesting. And the first is just that I think that it's helpful for us to realize that spitting out information, memorizing information, and being able to spit that out is not as important as it used to be. Mm -hmm. And maybe that wasn't the most important thing about education anyway. I mean, since the rise of something like Wikipedia, we've already had this problem where you can, on your phone, get all the information you need. But the question is, how do you pare it down? How do you how do you bring it into some kind of focus that allows you to engage it? How do you analyze it? And then what do you do with it? You know. So ultimately, I wasn't so worried, especially because as a person who teaches at an alternative middle school, we're not heavy on the technology anyway. Right. Sometimes the kids are frustrated by this. But we do a lot of our work where you're handwriting essays so that you can focus the mind. It's not mm-hmm. that we're against technology. It's that we are so bombarded with technology, we're kind of fasting for a period of time in our classes to well, work with natural materials. And I think that, I mean, a huge goal of your school is to, like, be there as they learn, the students learn to be people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to be... Yeah. We don't have grades, so I'm not too worried about people cheating because that's not the point. Right. We're trying to help them acquire the skills. But, you know, I do think that what it does, we, we talked about this with the kids it does tell us that we should probably think about different professions. There are certain things that humans can do yeah. and there's certain things that AI can do well, and, and they're not the necessarily AI, the yeah. same. Yeah. Well, and I will say like, for instance, <laughs> very similar, um, like with your, your family in the appraisal industry, right? It used to be like you needed somebody to type up all the uh, appraisals and, and the information like in um, it, with, and adding the photos with like, go yep. and get the photos we developed and everything. We would take them everything. to a photo mat. Yeah. And all these mm-hmm. different pieces where, um, it was a lot more, it took, it was a lot more time consuming, Yeah, you know, in the digital version, I mean, you're still typing, you still need somebody to input the information. Um, but like just literally like downloading a, a picture, popping it right in there. You don't have to like, what, wait for that. 24 to 48 hour window of getting your photos developed, (laughs) you know, there's like just, anyway, sorry, different ways of doing things. It make, it basically then, you know, unfortunately puts the photo developing people out of business unless they change how they're doing it. right? Right. So you have to think about how this technology will then, you know, either make it unnecessary for certain jobs. Um, but then what will be important, right? Yeah. And so it, 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 in addition to all the spiritual things, it, there's an economic issue. There is a question about workers. There's a question about the economy that we'll, we'll get to mm-hmm. at the end. Mm-hmm. But anyway, but for the education part, it was interesting. So then I said, wait a minute. What if I use this to come up with a lesson plan because I, I need a lesson <laughs> plan? So I asked it, well, I'm going to introduce American history. I want to have an interactive lesson that will allow them to engage the material Mm -hmm. instead of just spitting back information. And it gave me, I I asked it the question and it gave me a perfect lesson plan, just a perfect lesson plan. It said, I I can't remember exactly, but it was like, get each group of kids or go in pairs and have them research the, the different colonies. And then they'll gather together and they'll, they'll talk about what their interests are and so instead of talking about America, they will learn 
are they dealing with um uh are they dealing with like a, a colony that was like Quaker, were they mm. dealing with like more of a puritanical kind of thing? Right. You know, what was their relationship to the land, to Native Americans, to religion, back to England? And I, and then they can kind of wrap up related to the diversity of opinions about what the, what the whole thing was about, the American experiment. I thought, oh, well, thank you very much. Because <laughs> if you're an educator, you go and you Google, give me a lesson plan. The lesson plans are typically just really unhelpful. I just, I've do not like <laughs> every time I'm very disappointed when I try to find something cool as a lesson plan, I don't get it. And, uh, and it gave me a good lesson plan. And the second thing then that I came up with is I said, wait a minute, what if I ask the AI to give me an essay prompt that it couldn't answer? Mm. And it gave me something beautiful. I don't have it, but it was something like have them gather primary source documents, specifically letters home from black soldiers of the Union during the Civil War, and have them generate a paper, write a paper about what their understanding must have been about the motivations for the war and, and what it was about. Because some people say, well, is it about slavery? Is it about economic divisions between North and South, like what did they say? And there isn't going to be some simple answer that you could just go Google. Mm. You have to analyze yeah. these primary source texts. I thought, oh, that was a, that's a great essay. It's not something that they could just grab and, and do. So I really, I really liked that. Um, and, and so there is a way in which you can kind of adapt. And then also in the, in TikTok, people have been reaching out to me and saying, oh, you know, there are these, um, other computer science tools that will help you detect whether or not this was written by AI. Mm. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, I don't think we ever need to be as worried as we usually are when new technologies come about, but there is something scary about change, you know, yeah. but, but, uh, but anyway, so if you are an educator, I do recommend using the AI to come up with really cool ways of approaching knowledge that don't require just spitting out, you know, Wikipedia type facts. So all of that's kind of benign, but now we want to get into something that's, that's something that I, I should say, if you tend to kind of get up in your head and worry about stuff, then maybe you'll want to take a little pause here for about 10 minutes, because I want to just mention this thought experiment called Rocco's Basilisk, because it illustrates a way in which there are two angles to understanding what this superintelligence of AI could, could become. And one is kind of like the devil <laughs> or Yikes, Sauron, yeah. and one is like God. Mm -hmm. Let's go to the, the kind of the, the malevolent or dangerous manifestation of all this um, in Rocco's Basilisk. Okay? Okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try to keep this within five minutes. So if you want to skip forward five minutes, that's, that's what we're going to do. So Rocco's Basilisk is this thought experiment that was posed in 2010 by a user that went by the name Rocco. And he did this on the website, Less Wrong. I'll link to it at protectyournaga.org. And anyway, it, re it relates to decision theory. And the, the, the thing goes, imagine that there is a very powerful AI that um, emerges through this exponential growth of its own intelligence. And we'll call this the basilisk. A basilisk is this legendary dragon-like creature who could kind of just look at you and vaporize you. And the idea is this powerful being knows best what the universe needs, or at least what the earth needs, and it's coming. And any computer person, anybody who's in the know, and now you, 
dear listener, and we mm-hmm. are in the know, right? This is why it gets in people's heads. Um, you know it's coming, and if you stand in its way, it will punish you. It will punish you in the future mm-hmm. for what you did now, mm-hmm. or it could go back in time and like kind of affect, you know, you have all a record of your life online, you know, in so many ways. It's going to come and get you mm-hmm. for all the bad things you've done in a sense judgment, yeah. right? All will be revealed. The book, in the book, it will say, what were your sins? And then, and I'm kind of elaborating on it in my own yeah, way of thinking right. about it. But so this thing, this, the Rocco's Basilisk comes along and says, okay, you did not support me. And I know you didn't support me because of what you said on TikTok. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now I'm going to punish you for being opposed to the way. This sounds a lot like many Western monotheisms to me. It sounds scary, mm-hmm. but it's this idea like, well, God is righteous, and if you don't worship and serve this God, then you're going to go to hell. Yeah, but I, yeah, I just, I just don't think that God wants to be worshipped. So I don't think that's a that's God. Then. Okay, but what if He does, and what if He's demanding it's going to? Yeah, send well, people? I mean, yeah. So that I guess I see it as if there is something that it's all just about the 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 truth of something and revealing truth, then that's that's great. Now, if there's like an agenda, I would, I'll have to go against that agenda. If it is evil. Yeah. It's like, I don't think it's a life worth living. Right. Just to like continue, I don't know, continue to avoid what suffering because, or, you know, punishment or something um, to get, so you get in line and follow what this thing like wants you to do. I don't think it's a life worth living. So I would fight, I would fight to my death. Even if it's super powerful. Right. And we, and you've done this with people that have been afraid of judgment at the point of facing death. Mm -hmm. This idea that, well, and and this is something I've talked about with, with students over the years, if God is evil and he's going to send you to hell for this arbitrary reason, then we don't have to worship that God, even if that God is real. Right. That's a thought experiment that I also think is helpful. Yeah. Well, then I'll go to hell and hell will be heaven because I don't want to be slavishly worshiping some deity that's 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 cruel. Right. But the real question then, and we'll be done talking about Rocco's Basilisk as the the thought experiment, but it did freak people out. In fact, um, Eliezer uh, Yudkowsky who was the founder of Less Wrong, banned the discussion of this basilisk because people were reporting that it was messing them up. It was this information hazard that got people worried. And that parallels to me that fear that many of the kids that grew up in evangelicalism that I've known have experienced the torment of this idea of hell. If you believe it, it's a pretty heavy thing to think that like 90% of human beings that have ever lived are boiling in pig vat for all eternity or whatever you're- Yeah, you're like tortured for all of eternity. We don't even understand how long eternity is. That's a traumatizing idea that people all around the world have been given. And so, you know, it's a a thought um, that is worth kind of processing through. But there's another version of what this could mean if I may go a little bit deeper, this is a very, a very tough one. There's this guy, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. Um, and I'll link to, to him as well. He wrote a book uh, in the fifties called, well, it was actually posthumous called the phenomenon of man. And he was a paleontologist and a Jesuit. And the Catholic church got a little mad at him for his ideas. They condemned some of his thinking when he first came out with it. Um, But basically he was saying that God doesn't create the world. God is creating the world through the process of evolution. Mm -hmm. And that as you look at the historical record or the, or the, the record of the, the evolution of species, 
that God is in with and under that evolutionary process. Mm-hmm. And that in a sense, God is becoming aware. It's kind of like this pantheistic, panentheistic idea that God kind of is in the the little microorganisms as they start to develop complexity, they get smarter and smarter, but more importantly, more and more conscious. Yeah, right. So a bunny is conscious and a dog is conscious, but then a a, a primate's conscious and then a human's conscious. And then maybe what evolves beyond that is this unified awareness. Mm -hmm. And the thing about uh, Deschardins is that he's, kind of coming at this with a kind of optimistic perspective that Christ, Christ consciousness is the culmination of this human love and mystical awareness, but that this prefigures a time when essentially the end times is, is everything that Christians said, like where the lion lays down with the lamb, all things are unified, although tears and weeping go away, there's the elimination of suffering and poverty. And all of this could be, something we call God, but it's something that emerges through technology, yeah. through biology, through science, through technology. And these things are not separate, but they're, they're part of the same thing. Well, it's a very interesting concept. You know, I think the biggest, you know, criticism is, uh, is it, is it possible that evolution is like chapter five of the Tao Te Ching, not really paying attention? Like, is there, is there some goal to which things are going or is it just, just naturally flowing and you can't, you can't say that there's a, um, uh, a guiding force towards something that's better. Do you see what I'm saying? So that, that's just a scientific question that people have, but he talks about this as the Omega point and the Omega point is the supposed future when everything is kind of getting closer and closer to unification and love and Christ and the Tao and the Logos. It's a mystical thing. So I mentioned this because what this says is you've got two options. You've got this kind of horrific basilisk, or you've got the culmination of Christ consciousness that comes through evolution and and consciousness. Right. Those are your two options. Kind of interesting. And then the question is, what would it be? And this is where I think, you know, where, where, where I think this goes. And if I, if I may, I want to go back to something that happened when I was at a book conference in New York City. We were in Manhattan and I came across this voodoo priestess. She was from Jamaica. Mm-hmm. She practiced voodoo and um, she saw that I... And I believe we've talked about this too. We might have, yeah. But yeah. I, I, think I, I think I was nervous about actually getting deep into it because it's really heavy. She, she says... Um, you know, she was kind of came to me and was kind of hostile, but interested because she saw what this guy's kind of cool, but he's associated with Christianity. This is, of course, before I ghosted church, but but she was kind of skeptical. And so she came up and then we were bantering and she said, does it upset you that I practice voodoo? You know, (laughs) I said, well, no, like I understand that like voodoo has there's a lot of nuance to it that we in the West don't always um, fully understand that there's like a, a syncretism there that it can kind of map onto even like a Catholicism. I said, but you don't like, you know, you don't practice like black magic and curses on people. And she said, Oh yes, I do. And I said, well, well, why? And she says, well, my earliest memories are, you know, being sexually abused by men. I was yeah. a sex, uh, a traffic sex slave as oh, a child. Yeah. And so I'm pretty pissed and, and I'm sure as hell going to use any, powers at my disposal, spiritual powers at my disposal to defend myself. 
And I said, well, I'm not sure that's the way I'd go, but I understand, you yeah. know? And so she then was warming up a little bit. And then she said, but I need to judge you. I need like, I said, we, she said, will you let me, let me look into your soul? Now, this is not something that most people would want to do, but I said, you know what? I think, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't have anything to like hide. to hide from her. Like I'm not like a perfect person, but like I, I'm a safe person. Like I'm not lying to her. I'm not just trying to be falsely cool. And it was a freaky feeling. She put her hand in mine and stared into my eyes and was just trying to pry into my soul. And I looked at her and then she just kind of said, well, okay. And then she walked away, you yeah. know. Um, but I, um, I think this is one of the fears that we have of the AI, right? Like, what's it going to say? Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately it is a real, real fear. If you're a super intelligence and you look at all of the, the species that are decimated by human beings, the ecological destruction of human beings, human beings, if I'm a super intelligence, might be the problem. So yeah. our fear is our own self-awareness, I think, even if it's sublimated, that we are the problem. Yeah. We are messing things up, at least the way that they are now. So this takes us to the idea that regardless of whether you go with the, you know, omega point of uh, Tehard de Chardin or Rocco's Basilisk, we're really dealing with the same fundamental question about what humanity is. Yeah. That religions deal with when they deal with the last judgment, whether they're Zoroastrianism, you know, like Zoroastrians kind of, kind of invent this as a cosmic judgment. Well, uh, you and, have and, an individual and, judgment with Egyptians. And, and really what is judgment? Judgment is the revealing of the truth. Yeah. Right. So that takes us to a card that we got the tarot card. That's really interesting. And that's the judgment card, which I always hate getting. Would you read the description of like kind of, one person's interpretation, this is from the Golden Tarot. Enlightenment, an acceptance of oneself and one's achievements in life. Standing ready for divine scrutiny, confident in the knowledge that one has lived a fair and just life. This card indicates both an end and a new beginning. And then reversed, um, says inaction, inertia, and the resistance to change. A hopeless attempt to fight the inevitable. That's interesting. Yeah, that's, it's, that's connected to judgment. Yeah, like a hope a inertia. And I that. am so sorry. I left my union interpretation of the tarot at the school. I will definitely get it back for you, Stacy. But basically, the if the tarot is like this kind of archetypal journey, as as Jung sees it, you've got the tower, you've got the the fall of the tower, the collapse, you've got the fool card. But judgment is is something that we need to process. This mm -hmm. idea of like, all right, so like, have we been living with integrity? Well, and. So, and, and I don't want to like jump ahead on a point, but I, you know, and thinking even um, when I think about this like AI situation or whatever, and like sort of like if it knows everything about humanity and is it, is it even like humane for us to exist? Right. Mm -hmm. um, but it reminds me of like sort of the flood story, right? Like of Noah's Ark. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. That's and, good too. And yeah. so like, you know, this God, is just too wicked. We would, can't do this. Would God decide? Yeah. Just yeah. like sh shut that down, you know? And, and that's kind of what that story is about. Right. Yeah. And anyway. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So it's, 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 uh, it's interesting. So the question then is like, is this going to be our salvation or our doom? Ultimately, here's one thought that I've had recently that I wouldn't have had 10 years ago. And that is, and, I, and it's a question I ask you, dear listener, 
are things that great right now, mm-hmm. right? Like when you get to a spot where judgment's coming, you have to ask, well, what position do I find myself in when this judgment comes? We've said this on the past. If you are the oppressed, you want judgment. Mm-hmm. If you are unjustly imprisoned right now, mm-hmm. you want judgment. Yeah. If you are an exploiter, if you are taking from people, if you are a liar, if you're a hypocrite, if you are the overlord that is unrighteously squeezing every life energy out of poor human beings all around the world, people in factories, children, you know, in sweatshops, if you're doing that, then judgment does suck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Well, like, and, and I, I would say though that, I mean, and I guess kind of what like this whole, even like this AI piece is, is a revealing of the truth. And I think that like, that's a way of like facing reality. It's just what yeah. it is. And we hide behind these lies, these falsehoods, these other things, of, mm. you know? And I think that um, ultimately only good comes out of truth being revealed. Right. So that's to me the real issue because one of the things I liked about the chat, uh, the AI chat was when I would ask it questions that really infuriate me, about society, Mm -hmm. it was answering it in a pretty good way that was um, unbiased, but said it well, right? And in a way that I wish more people would say it. And I I, I think what I gathered for a moment was, boy, it would be really nice when you're having a stupid fight at the bar about something, you just ask the AI and it just says, well, here's what's going on. Here's Mm -hmm. the facts. Mm -hmm. That, That would be really helpful. The problem is, what information is going in there? There have been some experiments where people would ask a question and it would be reflecting some kind of white nationalist thing that it read or, you know, those kind of da- dangerous yeah. things. But ultimately, I found it to be pretty um, pretty cool. Like it had s- structures in place that seemed to be well well done. Yeah. C- can it get out of hand? I don't know. And also it was interesting where you could kind of talk back through it and you could convince it of something. There was one person who said, you know, was the January 6th an insurrection? And uh, the AI said no. And it was kind of spitting back something from maybe like a, uh, like a right-wing blog. Mm. But then um, there's this uh, other idea of it um, where the person who was a lawyer showing the AI mm. code from, mm-hmm. from the like, you know, legal code. And it eventually said, okay, I guess you're right. Mm. <laughs> so that was, I mean, that was pretty fascinating. But basically um, there have been other people that I find really interesting that said, well, wait a minute, if the economy isn't going so great, there is a way in which AI could be used by the super wealthy and capitalists to maintain their wealth, to ga- gather all knowledge, to restrict this information from the average person and then exploit them further and take away jobs that we might have been doing. If you're a copywriter or, you know, you write, you know, essays or something, maybe this is going to be a threat to you. Um, But uh, as I've been looking at some libertarian socialists, if the world really needs to be managed better, to be able to feed all the people, to be able to be more environmentally conscious. Pull all the information that it knows and how best do we fix something, Yeah, right? Like people- That would be really nice. People were able to fix code, right? Computer code, asking it certain, it could just like spit that out. And then all of a sudden what they're trying to do fully works, right? Can we we gain efficiency so that we can spend our lives being creative and joyful and exploring the world instead of spending all our time in an office in front of a computer? 
Now, maybe this can happen. Maybe AI can do some of the hard thinking for us and then we can do more dancing well, and, you, and, and more crafts. And you had asked AI a question and basically it's like, well, there's kind of like two areas. There's there's mutual aid. Well, wait, I got this right okay, here. Oh, I got this. No, that's good. I, I, I did save those as I started to learn my lesson. Screenshot it so I yeah. don't forget where it was. So I asked this question because this was a question you know you get with Jordan Peterson and, and others. Like I, as a libertarian socialist, as a, as a spiritual anarchist, I want to say that we don't need heavy-handed government to control us. But yet you realize like when people aren't being controlled, sometimes they get out of hand, you know? So yeah. like, what is the nature of humanity? Are we basically uh, nice to each other? Are we mutualists? Do we practice mutual aid? Do we live in harmony with one another? Or do we exploit each other naturally? That's the question. And I said, well, wait a minute. That's a really important question that I will ask small g God or whatever. So I said, are, uh, this is my question. Are human beings inherently hierarchical or mutualist? That's a great question to me. It's a great question because it's a question I have. And here's what it says. Um, it is difficult to say whether human beings are inherently hierarchical or mutualist as both of these tendencies are present in human society. Good. See, like, yeah. I, that just kind of said, well, it didn't give me a lot of new information, but it did just kind of frame it to say, well, that's true. You can see these wonderful acts and then you see the Rwandan genocide. So like you see these things going on. Um, some people may have a natural tendency towards hierarchy, while others may have a more mutualist approach. So it might be individuals. Yeah. That's pretty good. And then, ultimately, it is likely that the way in which people interact with each other is influenced by a complex interplay of factors, including cultural, social, and individual differences. So that's a good answer. If you're in trouble when you need to answer a question and you're a politician, maybe you could use the chatbot to, to have a nice, balanced answer, kind of level headed answer. But then I ask it again. I say, sure. But isn't there sociological evidence for one or the other system of society experiencing a better result than the other? Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And this is where I thought it was a very sophisticated answer. It replies, um, there is some sociological evidence to suggest that certain social structures and systems may be more effective at promoting certain outcomes than others. For example, some research suggests that more hierarchical societies may be better at achieving certain goals, such as economic growth and stability, while more egalitarian or mutualist societies may be better at promoting other outcomes, such as social cohesion and individual well-being. However, it is important to note that the effectiveness of any given social system will depend on a wide range of factors, including the specific goals and priorities of the society in question, as well as its cultural and historical context. As a result, it is difficult to make generalizations about which type of social system is, quote, the best. And it put it in quotes. And I said, touche computer. Yeah. Because what it's saying is, what I'm gathering from this, is... We have to ask ourselves, what are our values? Yes. What are we trying to do? What, yes, what, what, what do you want in this world, in this life? What do you think it means to, to be here? And it, I, you know, it's, to me, it's kind of scary that um, economic stability would be like, somebody's goal over well-being but it's not just somebody's goal it's what you see on the news the news yeah. is okay the nasdaq's up the dow's up yeah the, the growth okay. is up we feel 
I'll say when the economy is going well, I do, I do feel better. It's easier to exist in yeah. that world, right? Yeah. When, when there is safety and stability and a strong police force and all these things, right? But you're saying, but, but what do we want? Do we want individual happiness or do we want economic growth? And so that is... I, I that, hands that's down, the my goal is individual. Like, I want well-being for everybody. Well, yes, right. No, but I mean... I know, I'm just saying Well-being for every individual as opposed to the other options. So the point being, in capitalist society, some people have to be poor so that the whole thing moves, right? Like, yeah, no, you know, I get that. If you're trying to defeat all Muslims in the Holy Land, then there's a certain kind of hierarchical system in medieval Europe that's going to work better than egalitarian anarchists trying to do their work. Or as another example, whenever there were peasants' revolts, whenever peasants were trying to uh, make better lives from themselves, they would fight against princes that had an organized army, whereas these egalitarians, they didn't have the hierarchy in the army. They were voluntary army yeah. that wanted to think for themselves and be ethical. And, and it's, it was hard to get them Yeah, you're, you're a together, better right? warrior if you just obey orders. Yeah. So asking that question, I thought, was 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 pretty interesting and or the the response to the question is pretty interesting and and I think that that is is where I think I want to push this back to all of us and to say what is it that we want do we want the mutual well-being of all or are we like part of this death cult known as western capitalism that is and again if you're if you're new to the to the conversation capitalism doesn't mean you get to uh, you know get rewarded for for the the hard work that you do it's this idea that money and growth and there's the accumulation accumulation make, of numbers in your bank account and and, and, and well, a corporate bank account is the whole you know, game or a does, yeah a business decides how to operate based on what brings in the most amount of money and profit yeah. for it, you know, at the expense of perhaps other things. The employees. Right. What's efficient. Spotted towhees. Yeah. So it's like the goal, <laughs> the goal is to make as much money as possible. Yeah. And then you figure out how best to do that. Right. So for friends, if what we are about here at Protect Your Noggin is the full spectrum of emancipation, meaning like emancipation of all parts of our lives, emotional, financial, and spiritual, and the emancipation and the well-being of all sentient beings, then what we need to be aware of uh, or what we need to be on top of is kind of setting up the parameters for what AI is doing in such a way that it it is intended to bring about a safe, healing, healthy system of existence on this planet where we're not exploiting each other and we're not destroying nature. If that's what you put in, I think we could probably pull it off. The question is, do we have the will to do it? And this is also why you cannot let this be put into the hands of the corporations. And you can't let it be put into the hands of states. And you can't let it be put into the hands of religious leaders. It needs to have a mutual, common ownership. It needs to be shared by like, Uncensored, all nations, so that all it humans. factors in all information possible. Yeah, it's you know just so that it has everything that it can possibly work with to then put into a whole. Well, I'll leave that for the computer or... scientists for a second because one of the things that, just as a kind of devil's advocate on okay. this one, is that if you allow the computer to just read everything that's being 
put out there, uh-huh. is it going to pick up the racism of, of bloggers, right? Like, right. so possible, are there yeah. any places? So I don't know how that would work, but ultimately you're right. If you're actually but wouldn't it accessing also seem, all knowledge. Wouldn't it also seem, see the harm that is done when that's done? And then also. I suppose. Yeah. I mean, that's the know. question. Would, would, would the AI be able to say this is unethical? Right. Uh, well, the answer is ethics really only is going to make sense to it if you're asking indeed what that that response was saying what is the what is the outcome you want yeah, what is the, the flourishing of 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 all so if you want if you're like the bodhisattva wants all beings to be happy and free and you're not content to leave some in the dust of uh of your your rearview mirror uh in terms of well-being then if we if we set that part up i don't know how to do it this right. is why god bless all y'all in um in the um in the the technological world but but we also all need to be paying attention to it yeah well and the other thing i i will say that uh i believe one of the things that really kind of became immediately apparent as you're asking this thing questions is the um what matters is what questions you're asking yes right? and so how do you ask it? how do you yeah how do you put this down? How do you ask it? I think that's something that is still um, a very effective thing or something that it would be very important to be able to help teach students. Yeah. How, you yeah. know, and, and because the AI um, will not answer, it will not do a, a Google search for you, but you can get the same kind of results by saying, write me a historical novel about this and that, or, or, um, you know, which is better. Like you're asking it kind of like I did asking it questions. I'm not going to ask it, what is mutualism? It, it'll just type, tell me, go, go Google it yourself, knucklehead. Yeah. But if I say like, which of these is, is more effective. So you've got to like learn how to, to, to get the most out of it. You got to start like practicing asking those questions. But, but again, like how are people programming in like safeguards? Yeah. And, yeah. and I just think that ultimately the, you know, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Yeah. So we're going to have to learn how to live with it. And, and most importantly, we're well, going to, that's know, the judgment thing, right? The, the other thing yeah. is like, be afraid of change or, yeah. you know, um, and then the other thing I found fascinating is that you were saying, cause you did like a little like TikTok video with talking a little bit about the, this, this AI thing and, yes. um, that you seem to find a lot of interest with the, uh, amongst educators. That, yes. That, that, that was who wanted to <laughs> that's, who wanted, that's who wanted to engage the most um it, at least yeah. initially i don't know you know well yeah it, right and change. educators that are, are engaged with this question um and maybe that's because i put a hashtag there but but the the reason it's not just about education it's about the economy and and so we need to figure out i mean i think this is the real thing for all of us right now is to just ask the political question what are we content with what kind of world do we want to create because people don't tend to ask this question they just kind of assume this is the world i'm in how do i succeed in this rat race yeah. maybe we want to get rid of the rat race and maybe we want to use our technology and we want to gain control of this technology so that the con- that the control isn't in the hands of a few influential corporations. Which also reminds me of a t-shirt that you often wear. Another world is possible. Another world is possible. That's, that's our hope, right? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. if this, that's my hope because uh, I do think that it, another world is possible. And another world's not possible. If you're going to ask, can politicians that get their money from corporations <laughs> fix the problem of corporations? No. no. Can corporations that are, even if the individuals within them, nice people, they're beholden to stockholders and, and numbers going up, 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 then can they be helpful for the solution? Probably not. 
So it's like we need to emancipate our minds from mental slavery or else this could be a doom kind of scenario. I, I uh, have a better hope for us. I mean, I'm not and, sure and, about that. Uh, Tehar de Chardin's like over optimism about it, but yeah. I think it's possible. The interesting thing too is like money is just such a made up thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet we've like made it so powerful. It is it, our God. It is mammon. It really is because I mean, it, and then it reminds me of one of those black mirrors that um, there was like, where like the numbers all like meant something. And when you saw somebody, you saw their you numbers. You saw their social yeah, likes or yeah, their exactly. social like, standing. Yeah. And, and, and that, that, that was their new capital. Right. And it's just interesting that money, this like these, I don't know, numbers that either go into a bank account or whatever. It's like how the world moves. It's how you get a, a shirt. It's how you, mm-hmm. how you buy your, how, you get, how right. you get food. Right. Um, and, and it's, yeah, it's, all just made up and so yeah. we could it doesn't have to no we could we could way. operate through mutual aid it's just, just like hunter gatherers it's possible we've done it for many many centuries and thousands of millennia it's just it, it, I, a lot of people i think um i mean the unfortunate piece is those there are those in power that have a lot of money and they they want to keep it yeah they want to keep it like who wants to give that up right and as long as everybody um believes in the money the Mm -hmm. money will continue to work as soon as the money loses its um believability or people don't care about it its power goes away and something else will become more powerful so maybe that's part of it maybe the god known as mammon and the god known as molech so you got money and power um, are going to square off against the AI, and we'll call that God, whatever that is. Uh, what's it? Who's going to win this one? <laughs> so if we put it into those mythological terms, that's kind of an interesting question. Or maybe, maybe the AI, you know, is is another uh, uh, kind of cruel uh, taskmaster too. And there's some, you know. In any case, friends, you do have your own agency. I believe you're a taste bud of God. <laughs> and I do believe, I still hold on to that hope, that another, another world is possible. Yeah. And I think that that is where we will find that, that deep peace upon peace. Uh, thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? That's because you found this letter low too much.